As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us today to worship God together and celebrate a risen Savior. I hope that you've enjoyed the service so far, and I really hope that all of our worship and praise of God has just been glorifying and honoring to him and has also lifted your spirits as well. If you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're in the room with us or watching online right now, thank you for being a part of our services today. We're so glad that you are here. And I'm excited and honored to get to share with you more about our resurrected Savior, our King. Jesus in a few moments. Um, I hope that you'll get a great chance to do all the family Easter traditions and things today. My family did most of our Easter stuff yesterday, you know, did the, the egg hunts and the decorating eggs and reading and, and watching stories about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And that was, that was awesome. And I'm excited to dive into a little bit more of what that means and the significance of Jesus being our resurrected King in a little bit. But first, I want to remind you of the theme that we're focusing on this year as a church, which is our back together theme. And the idea there is that the pandemic in particular interrupted a lot of our rhythms and habits. And, and that's nowhere more clear than when it comes to our fellowship with other people as part of the body of believers. So we are doing some things as a church to try to bring us back together on a regular basis and make sure that we're in sync spiritually and with each other and with our Heavenly Father and just get us back on track with those things. So I just wanted to remind you of that. We have a, a Bible reading plan at efree.org slash back together that we can go through together. We have a devotional podcast that five days a week will take you through a portion of those scriptures you can listen to. And uh, there have been other little things you've probably noticed that we've done here. Many of you have been involved in dinners together or those are being scheduled right now. And so I hope that those are a great chance to connect with each other. And later this month, we're actually gonna be building kind of a connections area in the back of the auditorium here as part of that as well. And there's more things to come as well. So make sure if you're not already that you're signed up for the things, subscribe to the podcasts and the emails and all of that at efree.org slash back together so that you are in on all of that stuff and we can all get back together as a body of believers. Well, today we are celebrating our risen savior. And I love the passage that Heather read earlier from Matthew chapter 28. We're going to spend some time there this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 28, because we will be there for a little bit. And there are two verses at the end there that have probably shaped the church more than just about anything else in the Bible. Two verses that have, have been the source of academic studies and treatises and movements that have taken place that have caused people to uproot their lives and sacrifice everything to go to other parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. Two verses that have made a significant difference in my life and maybe in your life as well. And there are two verses that we call the Great Commission. It starts in Matthew 28, 19. It goes like this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And those are such powerful words. I love those verses because they're packed with meaning. There's so much in there that's important and significant to us, like just the, the words, therefore go. Therefore, go isn't, isn't actually a command on its own, but it's this idea of kind of as you are going, as you go throughout life, as you do different things, you are to be intentional about making disciples for Jesus in whatever you do. It's not just, this isn't just a verse for those that are supposed to go around the world. This is a verse for all of us. And I love that. The word for disciple carries this idea 
of being a student and a learner and an apprentice. And that, that idea of being an apprentice of Jesus and making more apprentices for him. I love that. And baptizing them, that Jesus would carry on that ancient ritual tradition done by the Jewish people of baptizing people in a mikvah. Now Jesus is saying, you do this now looking back on your spiritual purification, not for your spiritual purification. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us and of his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's what baptism by water does for us. It's, it's amazing. I could go on and on with so many things in these verses that are powerful and filled with meaning for us. And probably most of you here have heard that before. You've heard me talk about it. You've heard other people talk about it. But what I want to focus on this morning is actually what comes before this. Do you remember what Jesus says just before this great commission? I see some heads looking down to cheat. It's Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he says, therefore, go. This is a really big deal. Because if you were here on Good Friday, you remember that we talked about the fact that the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world, if he would just worship and bow down to the devil. And Jesus took a pass on that because he had something better coming. He had all authority on earth and heaven given to him. And he gave up what the devil offered him for something much, much better. But in doing so, he had to endure the pain of the cross, the rejection of God the Father as he took our sins on him on the cross and killed not only himself, but sin and death with it and had victory over that and then came back to life. Before Jesus died at his last supper, Jesus talked about this kingdom that he would have. In fact, when he was with Pilate, he told Pilate, you may remember from Friday, he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And when he was with his disciples at the last supper in Luke chapter 22, he says, you've stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, so God the Father gives Jesus a kingdom. I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. So you'll have a position of prominence in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what he says to his disciples. Jesus refused that earthly kingdom for this kingdom that his father would give him. And because that kingdom is under his authority and on the basis of his authority, he then says, therefore, go. Now, between these two instances, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom that his father gives him, and when he says go, there's a tragic event that happens. And the disciples have to be thinking, okay, you've got a kingdom. This is great. This is what we've wanted. And then he dies. And he's gone. And they must be thinking, this is terrible. It's ruined everything. But then he comes back to life, and, and suddenly things make more sense. And he, he spends all this extra time explaining with them for 40 days, teaching them and explaining. They finally understand things. They, for the last three years, they've had a difficult time understanding. And then he says those words in Matthew 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Satan offered me earthly kingdoms, but now I have all the authority over every king, every kingdom, everywhere. That's why we call him the king of kings. So Jesus is saying here, I've got all the authority, I'm in charge, I'm the one, and yet you and I look around today and think it doesn't look like Jesus is ruling everywhere. 
It doesn't look like his kingdom is evident in every aspect of the world, does it? Does it look like his kingdom is evident in every aspect of your life? Maybe not. Every aspect of my life, no. And so we live in an interesting time where Jesus has already declared his kingship. He's declared the authority that he has. And yet we're in this gap period where it hasn't fully been realized yet. And actually it helps to understand that this is talked about in the Bible. And in 2 Peter, Peter says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Remember that for later. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. What is he doing? He's giving them time. He's giving them time before he comes back. And we're going to get into that more later. So we exist in this gap period right now where Jesus is king and Jesus is my king, but it doesn't always look like it. And what do we do with that? I want us to talk today about the king who has all the authority. And on Good Friday, I challenged you to make Jesus the king of every area of your life. Today, I just want you to see a different side of Jesus. I want you to see Jesus not just as your savior, not just as your comforter, your your redeemer, your friend, but I, I want you to see him as a king. I want us to be cautious not to find him so familiar that we think of him in a casual way when he deserves all our respect as the, as the most powerful authority we could ever imagine. I remember one time in high school, I was volunteering for an organization and they had me doing some little job at the front, you know, welcoming people and handing things out and opening doors and that kind of a thing. And this older gentleman walked up to me, nicely dressed in a suit, and he asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. So I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody in there that can help you. And I could have been a lot more helpful. I mean, I could have stopped and said, you know what, let me go find the answer for you. Or I could have done even better and said, let's go together and I will, I will walk over there with you and find someone that can answer your question. But I was really no help at all. I just said, I don't know and moved along because I was in high school and, you know, I was dumb. I didn't know any better. Didn't understand customer service at the time. And then he walked away, probably a little bit disappointed that I wasn't more helpful for him. And I thought nothing of it. Just a random guy that I wasn't able to help. Whatever, I'm gonna open the door for the next person. And then someone walked over to me and said, do you know who that was? I said, no. They said, that's the president of the organization that you are working for right now, that you just did not help at all. And I think that had I known who he was and known his position, I probably would have been a lot more thoughtful and a lot more helpful. Now, obviously, I should have been that anyway. But what I hope to do today is to show you a picture of Jesus that at the end of our service will have you thinking, I want to be a lot more thoughtful and a lot more helpful to this Jesus who is not just my savior and my friend, but he is also my king. What does it mean for Jesus to be a king. I'm going to give you four things, four aspects of his kingship. We'll bounce around a little bit in God's word as we do this. The first one's going to be in Matthew chapter seven. So in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is teaching his disciples and here's what he says. And, and just think for a moment as we read this about how amazing it is for Jesus to be saying these words. There's some implications of this that, that I, I want to point out in a minute. 
Anyone who listens to my teaching, he says, and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Now, here's what I want you to consider. The fact that the king of the universe, the one who John says in his gospel was involved in creating all things, has decided to come down and teach us how to live. Not force us, not beat us over the head with a stick or with his words, but to humbly and graciously come and say, hey, I'm going to give you some stuff that's going to help you live a better life because it's the way God designed life to go. And if you will listen to my teachings, you'll be wise and you'll have a good foundation for your life. And if you don't listen to my teachings, you'll be foolish. The fact that this is the way Jesus decided to come to this earth with that kind of humility as our teacher, that's amazing. And the Jewish people, they were looking for some grand Messiah who'd come as a warrior king with a huge procession, you know, like Aladdin coming into Agrabah with the 75 golden camels and the purple peacocks and all this, this amazing pomp and circumstance. And that's not how he did it at all. He came in with incredible humility as a rabbi, as a teacher of people, as a, as a, a person who would come alongside you and say, let me show you how to live. Let me show you how God wants you to live. He told his disciples, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. This, this Jesus, this king with all the authority, all the power, this is the one who came to serve us. That's amazing. And a part of his service was teaching, showing us how God designed this life to be lived and how it worked best and how we would find the most happiness and joy and satisfaction. And so you have the, the passage just before that in Matthew 7, where he, he goes through the Beatitudes and blessed or happy is this person, blessed or happy is this person. He's telling you how to have a wonderful life, not just in the future, but now. He came to show us that. So the first thing we'll say about Jesus is that Jesus is the king who teaches us how to live. Jesus is the king who teaches us how to live. And that's an amazing thing, that that would be the way he would choose to come to us as a teacher, a shepherd, a guide, to show us that God's ways really are better, and here is how to live that out. And if you listen to his teachings and obey him, you'll be wise, and you'll have a foundation for those difficult times of life. If you don't listen to his teachings, if you build your life on other things, then you will find that when times get tough, you don't know where you stand or what to cling to. Because your life is built on a foundation of sand. The next thing I want to point out is back in Matthew chapter 28. Back to the verses we looked at earlier. Matthew 28, 18. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Because Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, he says, go. Therefore, go. Because of this, that. Because I have all the authority, I want you to go. You're not going on your own authority. You're not going as representatives of this king in your own power, your own authority. And that should change the way we approach that mission to go out and make disciples, to go out and share Jesus with other people. It was several years ago when I remember reading a headline that Dennis Rodman was on his way to North Korea to negotiate with Kim Jong-un. And I thought, how bizarre. Now, truthfully, every headline that included the words Dennis Rodman, I thought, how bizarre. But that's a whole different issue. But the fact that he was going to North Korea, I was like, what is going on here? Who gave him the authority to go represent us in North Korea? 
Who said you are our ambassador, you are our emissary to North Korea to go negotiate with this dictator of this country? And, and the answer is no one. He just decided to go. In fact, there was some debate about whether or not he'd make it out because he didn't go with any authority. He just went as him. And, and I think they had a lovely conversation. I think it may have resulted in some good things, but he didn't have any authority behind him. Now, a few years ago, there was another news headline that said President Trump was going to meet with Kim Jong-un. That meant something completely different because that carried authority and weight and power of the United States government behind it. The fact that a sitting president of the United States would sit down and meet with Kim Jong-un, that meant something big. Whether it's good or bad, that was a big deal because there was authority behind it. And Jesus, as he's giving his instructions to his disciples, saying, you are my emissaries to go out and make disciples for me. He's saying, I have been given all authority, therefore you go. I have this authority. And he told them earlier at the Last Supper, I grant you rights in my kingdom. Now he's saying, I have this authority. I want you to go. And by the way, this is not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's a command. You are to go and make disciples. The way Jesus phrased this, is, is you are to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to do everything I've told you. And what did he just tell them to do? To go and make disciples. And so there's this self-repeating command that's supposed to happen over and over again. You've probably heard me say many times, the gospel didn't come to you to die with you. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. There's this command to be sharing our faith with other people and to go and do it. Why? Not because it's a good thing to do, not because we really feel like it, but because Jesus commanded us to, because he has all the authority. And when we do it, we're not doing it in our own strength or power. We're doing it on the basis of his authority. We can go knowing we've got backup. We can go knowing that if we're rejected, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting him. Jesus said that. And so there's authority behind this. And so number two, the second thing we'll say about Jesus as our king is Jesus is the king who sends us out as his ambassadors. He sends us out as his ambassadors. And so then the question for us today is, are we being ambassadors for our king? If you claim Jesus as your king, are you doing the thing that he said to do right before he left this earth? The last instructions he gave, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all the things that I told you. Are we all doing that? If you're a follower of Jesus, if he's your king, that needs to be a part of your life. Jesus is the king that sends us out as his ambassadors. Now, there's a third thing I want to tell you about Jesus as king. That's also in Matthew 28. Jesus says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I've been given all authority. Therefore, go as my ambassadors, and then you can be certain that I'll always be with you, even through the, the darkest times. And this is a tough one because life is full of tragedy. And it is full of sadness and it is full of difficulty and relationships that get ruined and sickness that comes upon us and diagnosis that we never expected and people that hurt us and betray us that we never thought would do it. And yet Jesus says, I'm always going to be with you. There's, there's a lot of truth to that. The fact that Jesus is always there with us, but we're not always willing to be receptive to that relationship. But he says, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. There was a study done about 13 years ago. It was a meta-analysis of 148 studies. So it was a huge study that was done to try to determine the impact of having someone in your corner, 
So a personal support group for you, people that you could count on, that you could rely on. And what they found was that if you had that in your life, then you were 50% less likely to die early than if you had people who were in your corner. And Jesus is saying, I want to be in your corner. I want to be a supporter for you. That makes a big difference. That should make a big difference in whether or not you're able to go and be his ambassador. Not just on the basis of his authority, but on the basis of him saying, hey, I'm with you every step of the way. And so number three, Jesus is the king who is always with us. That's really amazing if you think about it for more than two seconds that the king of the universe would want to have a personal relationship with us. Not just to get us into his kingdom and then say, okay, you're in, stamp, done. But to say, no, I want to continue to have an ongoing relationship with you. The sad reality is Jesus is always there going, I want to have a relationship with you. And so often in my life, I'm like, yeah, but I want to do other stuff right now. You ever feel that way? Jesus is always there willing and ready to connect with you through his word and through prayer to give you guidance in life. And yet so often I'm like, yeah, I've got this other thing that I want to do. It's amazing to me that the king of the universe would would want to be there in your corner all the time. You know, the kings of the ancient world, they had almost nothing to do with the common people. If, if you were a king in the ancient world, you were born in a palace and you had attendants that serve your every need. And rarely, if ever, did you venture outside of your castle walls to go be with the commoners. There are exceptions to that. But for the most part, there was this huge separation between the royalty and the common people. And Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Remember, John said that he was involved in creating everything that exists today. He said, in the beginning was the word and nothing was created without him. And, and so Jesus is this incredible king, this incredible authority. He's saying, I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want a personal relationship with you. I want to be with you every step of the way until the end of the age. That's our king. That's Jesus, the king who is always with us. And when we don't feel like he is, chances are it's because we have not been tapping into that relationship because he's promised to always be there for us. Now he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. The end of the age implies that there is a season that we are in right now that Jesus kicked off after his resurrection. A season, an age that there's going to be an end to. There's a conclusion point to this. What is going on with Jesus' kingdom in the future? What is going to happen? And I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 15 to show you how it all ends. We're going to look at some prophecy. What does this look like at the end of it all? What's the resolution of Jesus' kingdom? Paul is talking to this church in Corinth. He's talking about resurrection, but he's going to get into some prophecy here. And he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now... The resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Now, I have to pause there for a minute and tell you that yesterday when I was going through this message, I was in my office, my kids were with me, and they were listening. And when I got to just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, they just looked at me like, is it you? They're they're stinkers, I tell you what. But there is an order to this resurrection, he says. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. So this is the end of the age when he will turn the kingdom of God 
over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. We've talked about that. And then there's little parentheses here. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. So just so you understand. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. We're getting this glimpse into the future of the the end game of the kingdom. We're in this gap period right now where Jesus has been declared as king, but we don't see all of his enemies gone. We don't see everything happening the way he wants it to happen. And we know, thanks to Peter, why that is. He's being patient because he wants more people to be a part of his kingdom before he locks it in and sets everything right. The first time he came to teach us how to live, the second time he's going to come back as that victorious Messiah, as the one who's going to destroy all of the evil, as the one who's going to wipe out all the powers and rulers that are opposed to him. And right now, there's an opportunity to make a choice and say, I'm going to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. And he's made it incredibly easy to do that. But there's also the opportunity to decide not to be a part of his kingdom and say, no, I want to go about this my own way. A couple ways we do that. One way is we decide, well, I'm just going to pursue my own other things and I don't even care about God. I don't even know if he exists. The other way is by saying, well, I believe in God, but I think I need to get there on my own merits. I'm not sure if Jesus is enough. Like, I'll I'll believe in Jesus, but I'm also going to do these other things, which, of course, cheapens the sacrifice of Jesus and the payment of Jesus as if he's not enough. I got to add my own to this equation to make it work. And sooner or later, those choices are going to be locked in. When Jesus comes back the second time and says, that's it, it's done. We're locked in now, and he's going to get rid of all of the things that are not a part of his kingdom. All the rulers, all the authorities, there'll be no death anymore. That'll be the last to go. He'll say, nope, death is done. We're not going to have that anymore. Everything is locked in, and we're going into eternity. Now, it will be wonderful for those of us that are part of his kingdom because we'll be with God and we'll be in paradise with him. In fact, just for a little side note here, I wonder sometimes, what is that going to really look like? And here's my theory about what that's going to look like for us. When, when he comes back and when death is no more and we just have eternal life with God, we're not going to suddenly be omniscient. We're not going to know everything all of a sudden. So I think we are going to basically forever be exploring. I think that creativity is not going to end. Arts aren't going to end. Music's not going to end. I suspect that all of the beautiful things that God has designed, those beautiful things will continue to exist and we'll be involved in that. We'll be a part of that. And this amazing universe that God created that seems infinite and limitless to us, well, we're going to have fun exploring that. I don't think we need to wait for Elon Musk to build a rocket ship for us to go explore Mars. I think we just need to wait for whenever Jesus' kingdom is finally completely ushered in, and then God sets us loose to go explore his beautiful creation. That's just my theory. And I think that we're going to have amazing things to do in the future when Jesus comes back and establishes his full kingdom. He's got his kingdom, he's got his authority, and then what does the text say he's going to do? He's going to give it back to God. Everything was given to him by God the Father, and he's going to make it all right. He's going to give it back to God the Father. And so the fourth thing that we'll say about Jesus as king is that Jesus is the king who will make everything right after, let's be honest, people and demons messed it up, because we did, and he will return it to God as perfect. The end game for all of this isn't just about us. It's about all of God's creation. 
It's about God's creation where every step of the way he said it was good, it was good, it was good, and then we messed it up. And Jesus' mission is to make it right, is to make creation right again so that he can hand that kingdom back to God and say, it's come full circle. Everything is good again. So the question for you and me, first and foremost, is are we a part of his kingdom? Have we decided to make Jesus our king? Making Jesus your king is is not the same as saying you believe he existed. Most people believe Jesus existed. The evidence for that is overwhelming. You you can even look at Roman historians and Jewish historians uh, who were not followers of Jesus, who will say, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth really existed. Tacitus says Jesus was crucified. Josephus talks about him. So there's, there's plenty of evidence that Jesus existed. The question is, is he who he says he was? Is he really the king? Is he your king? Is he the one who died on the cross to pay for your sins? Is that payment enough for you? Or is there more you have to add to that to make that work? Because the Bible says it's not by our own good deeds. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags, the Bible says. It can never add up to enough to make us able to enter God's kingdom. There can be no sin in God's kingdom. All that stuff gets wiped out. So how do we be a part of it? We believe in the payment that Jesus made for us on the cross that we celebrated on Good Friday. We recognize that Jesus paid that price for us so that we don't have to, and we say, I'm trusting in Jesus as my salvation. That's it. And if we add anything to it, we're not trusting in him. If we add anything to it, we're not fully trusting in what he did for us. And when we do that, the Bible says he gives us new life and he makes us a part of his kingdom. And then we get to experience all the benefits and blessing of having a king who teaches us how to live and a king who is always with us, And a king who's going to make everything right in the end when Jesus is our king. Now, maybe you're someone who is is here today or watching online, and you've never actually made Jesus your king. You've never trusted in him. You've never trusted fully in him. Maybe you're someone that has been kind of on the sidelines and hasn't known much about it. Maybe you're someone that knows about it, but has maybe been believing some of the wrong things. And believing that it's not that Jesus isn't enough. You've got to do some of your own stuff to be able to be right with God. And, and the Bible makes it clear that is not how that works. It is just by trusting in Jesus. In fact, several times the Bible says you do good because Jesus has transformed you, not so that Jesus will transform you. You do good because you're a child of his, not so that you can become a child of his. And so we do good in this world as followers of Jesus. We don't do good to become followers of Jesus. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm just not sure about this. I don't know if I want to commit my life to Jesus. That's okay. I understand that. I don't think all the disciples were there right away either. I think when Jesus approached some of them, they were like, okay, I'll follow you. This is interesting. But they didn't understand it fully. They didn't understand who he was or what he was offering. They didn't have their theology down. They just said, okay, I'll give it a shot. Let's follow him. Let's see where this goes. He's got some interesting things to say. And my advice for you would be to do the same thing. In fact, give it the same amount of time. Give it three years. I know that's a long time. What do you have to lose? Just pursue Jesus and say, I'm going to learn everything as to teach. I'm going to try to follow his teaching and let's see what happens. Let's see if he shows up in your life. Let's see if by the time you're done learning his teachings and putting those into practice, you don't start to realize, hey, there's something to this guy. And maybe I do need to commit my life to him. That would be my advice to you. Maybe you're someone that you've known Jesus for a long time. You've got a relationship with him, but you haven't really viewed him as your king, as your authority in life. And maybe you need to be reminded, as we talked about on Good Friday, every aspect of my life needs to be under the authority of Jesus. 
Everything that I do, everything that I say, it all needs to be under him. He's the king that teaches me how to live, so I want to live the way he teaches. That means I'm going to be in his word. That means I'm going to be studying it and learning about it, not just as a pastime, but I really want to soak it up and understand what does Jesus have to say about this? And the rest of the New Testament is all his disciples saying, Here, here's more information about what Jesus shared and taught us. So I'm going to learn all of those things to teach me how to live. I'm going to remember that he's the king that sends me out as his ambassador. And so I shouldn't keep it to myself. I shouldn't hide the fact that I'm a Christian at work, at school, with my friends. I shouldn't, I shouldn't keep that secret. It doesn't mean I have to, to be uh, abrasive about it with people. But I let them know, hey, the reason I have this hope is because of what Jesus did in my life. And he can do it for you too. We remember that he's the king that's always with us. Even in dark times, run to him, run to him in his word and in prayer and to others who believe in him to give you comfort in those difficult and dark times of life. And remember that he is the one who will make everything right in the end. So don't get overly concerned about the affairs of this world, whether it's culture or politics or difficulties in your life or your work or your family. All of those things matter and they're a big deal to us and we should care about them and we should be concerned about them, but we don't have to worry about them because we know the ending. We have this great advantage of knowing that in the end, Jesus is gonna set everything right. And so right now it might seem like it's wrong and right now it might seem like it's unfair and right now it might seem like I just don't want things to be this way and yet we know that, that God is saying I'm holding off on making everything perfect and just because I want more people to have an opportunity to be a part of my kingdom. So give time for God to do his work. Leave vengeance and justice to him and instead focus on your walk with Jesus and see if that doesn't make you a happier person and a nicer person to be around for that matter. I wonder if you'd pray with me. God, we are so thankful for what you do in our life through Jesus and through your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we want that to shine and be evident in us, that, that you are not just our Savior and our friend. Sometimes that can feel sort of casual and comfortable and familiar or even routine to us. But let us be reminded today that you are our king, you are our authority. You are a king who came to us as a servant and has told us to serve. You're a king that brought us your teaching, and now we need to live it out, God. Help us to live it out. You're a king who has sent us out as ambassadors, and, and honestly, we fail too often at fulfilling the biggest commandment you gave right before you left this earth. Lord, help us to live that out. Give us the boldness and courage to do that. You are a king who one day will set everything right. You're a king who one day is gonna take this kingdom and you're gonna get rid of all the bad and you're gonna lock in all the good and it's gonna be wonderful for everyone who's trusted in you. My prayer is that if there's anybody that hasn't, that they would make that decision today or at least take a step in that direction to give you a chance to show them how impactful it can be to follow your teachings, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to have hope and patience as we endure a world that is not how you designed it and not how it will one day be, but a world that you will one day correct and make everything right again. Jesus, our King. Lord, we worship you now. We praise you as we lift up our voices and sing to you. You conquered sin. 
You conquered death. You've given us new life. You've given us joy and hope and a future that we could never deserve. And God, I pray that, you, that we would remember it and praise you and live it out today as we celebrate our resurrected Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.